Hey, so, you know, 2020 was um, a mess. I remember at the beginning of 2020, I was thinking, 2020, all the churches are going to be doing 2020 vision. And they're all going to be talking about the great things they're going to be doing in the next year. And I always felt like that was a little presumptuous, you know, because no one knew what kind of great things we might be capable of doing. Because as a matter of fact, no one knew what to predict of the future. We can't predict the future. And so I remember at the beginning of 2020, all the other churches around me were getting all super excited about vision casting. And I've always had this this challenge about figuring figuring out some sort of vision that I should have without feeling like I'm presuming on the future. And there's that passage in James where it says, you don't even know if you have tomorrow, so why bother trying to predict the future? And, and I've always kind of taken that approach. I just want to be with God and with God's people no matter what happens and not make a bunch of predictions. And so last January, I didn't make a bunch of predictions about the kind of vision that our church was going to have for the next year. I, I tried to do a little bit of that, but you know what? Now I feel totally vindicated because none of those other churches that uh, had their big grand visions of what they were going to be and do during 2020 uh, came anywhere close to being and doing all those things. And, and the point is that we can't predict the future. And the only thing we can really do is trust God for the future. We look at the way he's worked in our lives, we, work at the, we look at the things that he's done already, and then we point to the future and say, God, if you've been faithful thus far, I still think you can be faithful in the future. And I, that's what I want us to do. Um, but as we get into that, uh, there's, today's just a standalone message. It's, it's not a, a part of a series. Next week I'm starting a new series. Today's just a standalone message. And, and it begins with this idea. You know, they say parachutes are pretty heavy. Walking around with a parachute on is not a comfortable thing. Walking around with a parachute on is cumbersome. It's, you might even call it a burden. But if you're 10,000 feet above ground, that burden is quite the blessing, especially if you don't have a plane <laughs> to support you. Here's the thing. Your burdens just might be your blessings. We're going to talk about that just today because after 2020, I want to give you some encouragement and I want to help point you towards 2021 in the best possible way I can. And to do that, I want to start by sharing with you some of my burdens from 2020. And I'm figuring that by sharing these things with you, um, maybe you'll find some solidarity with me. I'm not going to, I'm going to try to not give too many like specific burdens, but I'm going to give general categories that I think you can probably agree with me on. And the first two are political, but um, I'll, I'll say this. My burdens last year, a lot of people around me labeled as political. And I remember that uh, this one person sent me an email saying, churches should never talk about politics. And another person sent me an email saying, Jesus was political. And I've never really cared about politics. But one of my burdens this last year was politicians. I'll say that. I think you might share that same burden with me. You see, I've never been a person who cared too much about political issues. Political issues didn't really make that much sense to me why a church should worry about whether or not trickle-down economics or higher taxes were the right way to go. That never made sense that a church 
should talk about those things. I never cared about that stuff. And in fact, early on in my high school years, I remember specifically not caring about the moral lives of politicians. I remember there was this moment where someone was running for president. I can't remember if it was the president or the vice president. I can't remember who it was or what. I just remember that like a couple months before the election happened, a scandal came out that this person running for president had had an affair with someone. And at that moment in time, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, why should we ever vote for this person? That person had an affair. They're an immoral person. And it very quickly got burned out of me that politicians are not expected to be moral. Uh, This idea that I should want politicians to be moral got burned out of me in high school. And so for most of my life, I haven't cared about the morality of politicians. It's been something on the kind of back burner for me. Because, listen, if these people want to sin, then who am I to tell a sinner that they shouldn't be sinning? I want to help them come to Jesus first. And that was my burden in 2020. Because in 2020, not yet. Go back to politicians. I'm not on the next one yet. Um, My burden for 2020 was that the politicians that I was seeing in the news weren't just being immoral. They were leveraging their Christianity or leveraging something about God to give an excuse for the things that they were doing. And anytime someone uses Christ to gain personal power, that makes me irate. It is the definition of blasphemy for someone to say that God, because of God, they should get power. And so the morality of politicians became a huge burden on my heart this last year. But the second burden on my heart that some people could perceive as political, but I don't perceive as political, is injustice. For much of my life, I was raised with this idea that injustice is predominantly an individual thing. Racism is predominantly an individual thing. If a person is a racist, then that person behaves racistly towards other people. And I never was raised with any sort of concept of institutional injustice or societal racism. In fact, any time the government got involved in something to try to solve some injustice problem, I used to perceive it as just being politics. You know, if the government decides to pay for people's college education, if the government decides to pay for people's health care, if the government decides to raise taxes on poor people or lower taxes on rich people, if the government decides to do these things, I viewed all those things as political and I didn't want to waste my time on Sunday morning talking about that stuff or in even personal conversation with friends because all of those things were political issues because the government was dealing with them Real injustice that I should address is all on an individual basis, so I thought. But this last year, my eyes were opened. I remember the day I had the conversation with a pastor friend of mine in town named Rodney Lynch. And he was talking about some social justice issue. 
And I was like, listen, man, fine. It's cool if you want to talk about this social justice issue, but we in this group of pastors need to be talking about Jesus things, not social justice things. And he looked at me and he said, what are you talking about? Jesus was political. And I pushed back. I was like, Jesus wasn't political at all because Jesus never talked about raising taxes or lowering taxes. And these are the thoughts going in my mind. Jesus never talked about who to vote for. Of course, in the Roman environment, there were no votes that were happening. But nonetheless, this was what my mind was going to. Jesus never appointed a Supreme Court justice. Jesus never did this political thing or that political thing. But Pastor Lynch told me, wait a minute, everything Jesus talked about was how the powerful people should act towards the impoverished and weak. And all of a sudden, my eyes were opened. That injustice is an issue that must be addressed by the church because The church has the power of its voice and the power of its hands and the power of its feet. And Jesus is all about those with power doing something to help those without. And so I got a burden on my heart this last year about justice and social issues. But the problem is that both of these issues that were burdens on my heart this last year are perceived as political issues, and that meant that I couldn't really talk about them. And so, as a matter of fact, I, well, we got another verse going up on the screen. We've got an interesting thing happening on our computer in the back of the room. And so let's go to the next one. Let's just go ahead to the next one. Because now let's get into some Christian burdens that I had. A uh, Christian burden that I had from 2020 is Christian disunity. Now, I know many of you who've been part of our church for a while, you recognize that um, I am all about unity. Everything that I do is something where I'm trying to build unity with other believers. I'm trying to help believers get together and uh, do things that bring them u- into a, a place of unity with each other. And that's one of the reasons why I was the president of the Greater Lafayette Gospel Association, why I'm the only white guy on the Pastors Alliance, in the Pastors Alliance, why uh, I'm one of the leaders of the multi-church youth group called Fusion. Unity is a big thing for me. And yet the problem is this last year, I have seen Christians divided against Christians like never before in my life. I remember at the beginning of 2020, I made a commitment that I was going to try to somehow redeem social media. Now, I know that's naive, but I thought that at least in the circle of people who called me their friend, I might have enough earned respect in that social circle where I could possibly encourage all of us to learn what it meant to be disciples, Christians, on social media. And so at the beginning of last year, I tried to start some conversations with people around deep topics, important topics, things that I was learning about injustice and and society, things that I was seeing about the morality of the people in leadership and power around us. And, And so I wanted to get into some of these conversations, but I quickly found out, I quickly found out that people who loved me started calling me, telling me, listen, you're being too aggressive or you're being too um, antagonistic. And it seemed like the only people who were antagonistic towards me were the people who had a different baseline opinion from me. And I didn't build unity 
a burden of mine was to build unity. It's always been to build unity. And so I was trying to do that in social media like I've done in real life. And then in social media, it didn't work. I just created a new kind of disunity among the people around me. The disunity was those people who want to talk about ideas they don't agree with and those people who don't want to talk about ideas they don't agree with. And it created a divide. And so now I just simply unfollowed all of the people on my social media and it's it's saved my soul a little bit but the burden still remains for me why can't christians be united even over something as silly and stupid as social media this was the year for us to explore what it means to be united when we can't be face to face and it's been a burden on my heart that we haven't done it but my final burden from this last year is just a blanket thing about what i've noticed in Christians in my circle and in myself. I just call it Christian selfishness. I don't understand it. But this last year has revealed to me more and more that we as Christians, especially in the comfort of North America, are far more concerned with maintaining what we want than doing anything sacrificial, doing anything to serve others. My burden this last year could be put underneath this canopy of Christian selfishness in myself and in people around me. It's no question to any of you who know me that I like science. I'm kind of a science fanboy. I've spent time here in this room on Sunday mornings trying to help you understand how there's no contradiction between the creation account in Genesis and modern evolutionary science. I've tried to help you understand that the earth is not flat and the Bible doesn't teach it so. I haven't gone into the details of trying to help you understand how old the universe is or trying to help you understand the diameter of the earth. That's not been something that I felt was worth time spent on this stage. But it is important to me that you understand that there's a world of intelligence out there that goes beyond the, the, the people inside a church building. And here's the thing. To embrace the scientific community and the answers that are discovered by smart people in the rest of the world is called humility. It's called selflessness. But to claim that I'm the one who has all the answers and I will only accept the answers that already agree with my own answers, that is both arrogant and selfish. And Christian selfishness this last year has bothered me intensely. We have a pandemic. And the fundamental thing that happens in a pandemic is you don't get people breathing on each other. And so... We had Christians who were upset that they couldn't be meeting in the same small buildings, in the same crowds of people anymore, when we all know from human history that the Christian church has thrived the most when it's been in small groups. We've been upset about the mask thing, thinking that I don't want to wear it because it burdens my own comfort, but Christians are supposed to be the people who sacrifice themselves for others. I don't understand the Christian selfishness. So all of that is not actually an introduction to today's message. It's all an introduction to next week's series. Next week, I'm going to be starting a new series that I'm calling Hindsight is 2020. I've got a lot of burdens from this last year, and maybe you do too. But I want to learn something from it. 
I want to learn something. God, I believe, wanted to teach me something in 2020. And I don't want to go too far into 2021 without learning my lesson. And I want you to join me in that. And so over the next four weeks, during the month of January, we're going to take our church's core values and we're going to look at our church's core values through the lens of the things that happened in 2020 to learn some things from 2020. And on top of that, each week, if everything works out well for us, I'm going to be doing an interview of another pastor so I can learn from that other pastor, hear that other pastor's perspective and share that perspective with you. And so for the next month, we're going to be trying to embark on hindsight is 2020, learning the lessons we need to learn from this last year. But there's one last burden on my heart. And it's a burden that I have realized that I don't, I don't handle very well. See, my burden is that I authentically care for you, for all of the people who are watching this live or pre-recorded fashion or, or something. I really care about you. And I care about what God is doing in your heart. And I care about what God is doing in your mind, and I care about the life that you are living and the witness that you are sharing with your people. I care about you. And so, because I have been so burdened this last year, one of my problems is that I have shared my burdens a lot more often than I have shared the blessings. I've been aware of the burdens a lot more often than I have offered blessings. And so, today, the first message of this year. I want to make sure that you walk away with a sense of blessing. And I want to share with you two Bible blessings. The first one is from Psalm 4. I'm going to read through Psalm 4 all the way. You might recognize a portion of it because I actually put it on the screen last week. Psalm 4. But today, we're actually going to unpack it just a little bit. And I know I don't have a lot of time. It's okay. We'll, we'll move quickly. It says this in Psalm 4, For the director of music with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will people, will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety." I recommended this passage to a relative of mine who was mourning uh, an event recently that happened in our family. And um, my, my relative read it and then told me I didn't get anything out of that. And then she said, I, I read it again. And the third time I read it, I was like, oh, that's why. That's why he told me to read that. I'm going to unpack it for you a little bit today. It begins with David crying out to God and saying, God, I'm in distress. 
Would you do something? Would you listen to me? Would you pay attention to me? I'll put that back up. He says this, answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. And in that, you see David, a man of anguish. You see David, a man of pain. You see David, a man who says, God, would you at least just pay attention to me? Would you listen to me? Would you give me an answer? And I imagine you've prayed a prayer similar to that last year. I imagine you're praying a prayer similar to that this year. This is the kind of prayer that we all begin with. We face that time of anguish and we go to God and we say, God, would you listen to me? I've been asking you for this thing and I haven't seen any results yet. And David says, God, give me some relief, would you please? But here's the interesting thing about the way the Psalms work. They generally start in a place of frustration and end in a place of joy. And it's the stuff in the middle that gives you the instructions for what you need to do and how you need to think and feel about those things. So let's skip to the end and let's see how David's story ends. Verse 6. It says, many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. You see, this is the meat of David's request. Verse 1, he says, God, listen to me. I have a request. Would you relieve me from my anguish? And then in verses 6 and 7, he actually gives God his request. It's the middle two phrases. He says, let your light shine on us. Let the light of your face shine on us and fill my heart with joy. David says, God, what I want more than anything else is you. What I want more than anything else is for your presence to be at work in my life, for your light to shine on my life. David says, God, this is my request. I want you. Now, here's the thing. He surrounds that with what other people are getting. It begins in verse 6 where he says, who will bring us prosperity? Those are the other people who are saying, we're looking for earthly pleasures. And David says, fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. David says, they're looking for pleasures and they might get them. But God, I want you. David says, God, I'm in anguish. Would you give me an answer to my prayer? David says, my prayer is you, God. I want you. And now look at verse 8, how he ends it. He says, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. You see, the end of the verse, the end of this whole psalm, is David saying to God, You've done it for me. David has felt God's blessing, he has received God's blessing. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write that one down. David had God's blessing. But the question for you and me is how do we get it? David had God's blessing, but we need to know how we can get God's blessing, right? That's your question. That's my question. The middle verses give us a list. We're just going to work through them real quick. What do we need to do? Verse two, it's God speaking. And he says, how long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? God's first question of us is how much longer are you going to chase what's false? 
How much longer are you going to go after these other things that don't serve the purpose? How much longer are you going to go after these other things that are fake and false? He mentions false gods. And we look at this passage, we say, oh, well, we don't worship false gods. and We don't worship Molech and Chemosh and Baal. We don't do that silly thing. But here's the point. God says, listen, it doesn't matter if you are worshiping something by the name of Chemosh. Chemosh was never an important word anyway. It was the fact that they were worshiping the God of something. Baal was the God of fertility. Molech would be the God of authority. And these people were worshiping these gods because of what they represented. And God says, listen, Baal is a false God and finding what he offers outside of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is a foolish endeavor. In other words, if you want to find fertility and prosperity outside of God, you are searching in a false place. Write it down this way. We need to stop chasing what is false. As Christians, I implore you to be a person who is committed to the truth, If it's not in the Bible, then look at something from the Bible and follow the principles of the Bible to understand what is true and what is false. And one of the principles of the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Get rid of what's false. Don't fall prey to conspiracies. Don't fall prey to this other thing that is leading you astray, this latest, newest religious thought or this latest, newest political idea. It's God and God alone. If you want his blessing, stop chasing what's false. Look at verse 3. He then says, Now that the Lord, know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. This is David speaking about himself, but he's not speaking only about himself. He's speaking about all people who qualify as faithful servants. Write it down this way. We need to know we are his. We need to know that we belong to him, that we belong to God. We are his faithful servants if you are one of his faithful servants. And you might ask, well, how do I know if I'm a faithful servant? Well, here's the deal. Do you follow Jesus and the faith of Jesus, your Lord? If he's your Lord and you're following him, then you're a servant. If you're following him because of faith in who he is and what he said, then you are a faithful servant. You might not be a good servant, but you can be a faithful servant. So do it. Because if you're a faithful servant, you belong to God. You belong to him. And nothing can take you away. You want God's blessing in your life? Just remember, you belong to him. Next, look at verse 4. Tremble and do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your heart's And be silent. We don't like this idea of fear. We don't like this idea of trembling before God. But here's the point. Ultimate humility is when you say, I'm not good enough. Ultimate humility is when you say, I can't save myself. Ultimate humility is when you say, I desperately need someone else. I am dependent on someone else. And if I don't get what I need from that other person, I am done. Ultimate humility always has a component of fear to it. 
Pride says I can, tackle, I can handle it myself. Pride says I can solve my problems. Pride says I can save myself. But here, it says tremble. Search yourself. David would say we need to be fearfully humble. We don't need to be fearfully arrogant. We've all seen a lot of that in 2020. People who are afraid of the bad thing and so they got arrogant of something else. We don't need to be that. We need to be fearfully humble. The kind of humility that says, God, if we don't have you, we've got nothing. Look at this last verse from this passage. Five. It says, offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Do you know what the sacrifices of the righteous are? The sacrifices of the righteous goes back to the priest who would be making a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement because God told him to make a sacrifice. And the sacrifices of the righteous are not the the people who are righteous who bring a sacrifice. The sacrifices of the righteous are the people who need righteousness, who bring their sacrifice to the righteous one, the high priest, who then makes a sacrifice for himself first so that he can be qualified as a righteous one. And then he makes the sacrifice for you so that you can be called righteous. The sacrifices of the righteous is not righteous people people making sacrifices, it is a sacrifice that makes people righteous. And when David says you need to offer the sacrifices of the righteous, he says you need to bring to God the kind of sacrifice that he wants and trust him for what he does as a result of it. What is the sacrifice that God wants but for a lamb to be slain for the sins of the world? In his great grace, the heavenly father sent Jesus the Son into this world to die on the cross for our sins to give us grace. And that makes us righteous. We need to trust it. We need to trust God's grace. Because see, the sacrifices of the righteous are when we recognize Jesus as the only righteous one. And so we put our trust in his sacrifice and the grace that comes from it. You want God's blessing on your life for 2021? Here you go. Stop chasing what's false. Know that you belong to him. Be fearfully humble, but trust his grace. And just to put some icing on this cake, I want to take you to Jesus' own words. The most famous sermon Jesus ever preached is in Matthew chapter 5. I want to read it for you. Matthew chapter 5 is frequently called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Many scholars believe that Jesus gave this same basic talk multiple times because when Luke records it, it's slightly different. And so we think he probably said this a lot, but it begins this way. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. Look at this list of items. Poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers. Listen, all of those things are burdens. I don't know if you ever tried to be a peacemaker before, but it is a burdensome thing to do. I don't know if you've ever experienced being poor in spirit. That means I've got nothing left in the tank. That means I'm absolutely empty. That means my soul is completely empty. I've got no strength whatsoever left over. If you are ever in that place, you have been poor in spirit when you recognize your own desperation. But Luke, when he quotes that, he writes down, blessed are the poor. And he talks about their financial poverty. And maybe you've experienced some of that too. Any one of these things, if you look at them, they are all burdens. But what's fascinating is that every one of these burdens is accompanied with some sort of promise. Jesus says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, it's great to have the kingdom of heaven, but heaven's not here yet. And so even if I own it, even if it's mine, I don't have it yet. Or Jesus would say, they will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will be shown mercy. They will see God, but none of it's now. These burdens are now, but the blessings are later. And Jesus says, rejoice and be glad now, because the blessing to come is guaranteed. Write this down. This is the last thing I have for you. Our burdens now mean blessings soon. The burdens of humility lead to the blessings of heaven. The burdens are now, the blessings are still to come. But the burdens mean blessings. The burdens are the down payment for the blessings. The burdens are the guarantee of the blessings. The burdens that Jesus lists here and the burdens and pains and hardships that David was feeling back in Psalm 4 are just evidence that blessing is still to come. This year... You might feel a burden, and I might feel a burden. I might feel a burden about this church. I might feel a burden about you. I might feel a a burden about a politician thing. I might feel a burden about some news event, some tragedy that goes on, some injustice in the world. I might feel a burden about other churches in this community. I might feel a burden about other things going on in the world. I might feel a burden about something on the internet. I might feel all kinds of burdens. But guess what? These burdens here... If I embrace these burdens, these are the burdens that are guaranteed a blessing. These are the burdens that lead me to a place of joy because I have confidence in God's eventual blessing. When I embrace these hardships, when I embrace these things, then I can know that there is a God who brings blessing out of burden. You think you need to fight for your blessings. I think I need to fight for my blessings. I think I need to fight to protect my blessings. I'm worried about someone else taking away my blessings. And I get all angry and irritated and frustrated and stuff. But guess what? No, no. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You know why? 
Because your blessing isn't here, no one can take it. Because your blessing isn't now, no one can steal it. Your blessing is coming from your heavenly Father, and it's soon, but not yet. We need to bear the burdens we're given, and God will bring the blessings. So I want to give you a blessing, if I can. You belong to the gracious God who turns burdens into blessings. There's nothing greater that I can share with you at the beginning of this year. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you belong to the gracious God who turns burdens into blessings. A couple thousand years ago, a woman named Mary got pregnant when she wasn't expecting to or wanting to be pregnant. That was a burden, but God turned it into a blessing. A man named Joseph was supposed to get married to a a woman that he then found out was pregnant with a child that didn't belong to him. That was a burden, but God made it into a blessing. The People were threatened. Mary and Joseph were threatened by a king who wanted to kill their child. And so they fled to Egypt. That was a burden, but God turned it into a blessing. They lived in Nazareth, which for a Jewish person wasn't the greatest place to live, but God made that burden into a blessing too. And time and time again in Jesus' life, you see it happen for the people around him until it culminates in the day when Jesus hangs on a cross. But the night before he hung on the cross, he said to his heavenly father, Father, if it's possible for you to take this cup away, if it's possible for you to take this burden off my shoulders, would you do so? But Jesus carried that burden. He carried his own cross. He shed his own blood. He died on that cross for you and for me. But in just Two nights, three days, that burden became a blessing. Not just for him who was raised to life again, but to all who put faith in him. In just a few moments on our Zoom call, we're going to participate in communion with each other. If you have something that works for you, get yourself some carbohydrate. Get that, we'll use that as the representative of the, of the bread that Jesus had when he um, gave his last supper to the followers around him. And we'll get yourself some sort of, of juice. Uh, you could get grape juice. You could get some other sort of you know, red Kool-Aid if you want to do that. Uh, get yourself some apple juice. That's fine. If you have some wine and you want to do that, you know, just don't flaunt it to the rest of us. But we're going to spend some time in our Zoom chat Acknowledging the fact that Jesus gave his life for us, who is the perfect example of a burden that turned into a blessing. Let me remind you that you belong to a gracious God who turns burdens into blessings. And so no matter what your burden was this last year, and no matter what burdens you carry this next year, there is a blessing if you continue to seek God and not chase after all the other things that we tend to do. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. 
So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.